like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Lori Childers is my guest today for Song of the Soul. I have a regular ad for Northern Spirit Radio in a Quaker publication called Western Friend. Their website is westernfriend.org, by the way. And Laurie noticed the ad and decided to contact me leading up to today. As an artist, an activist, and a musician, Laurie is sensitive to that which will enrich and improve the world. So I think you're going to really enjoy her and her music as Laurie Childers now joins us from Western Oregon. Lori, thanks so much for joining me today for Song of the Soul. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be invited. Tell us a little bit about the region that you live in, in Oregon. I live in Corvallis, Oregon. It's in the Willamette Valley, where 2 million of Oregon's 3 million people live. But my town has about 55,000 people in it, and I'm surrounded by Douglas fir and Oregon white oak trees and lots of flowers, which are blooming rather early this year. Have you been there a long time? I moved to Eugene, Oregon in 1979 for graduate school. That was the beginning of me living in Oregon, but I spent much of the 1980s living and working in Africa and Asia and some other parts of the world on fuel-efficient cooking stoves. So I got to work with potters and artisans all over the world trying to save the forests, but I eventually came back to the Willamette Valley. That's interesting. You know, I have my connection to Africa, too. I was a Peace Corps volunteer for two years, 77 to 79, in Togo. And I've traveled a fair amount, too. I've been to Kenya and Rwanda. Last summer, I was in the Congo for a few weeks. Where were you specifically in Africa? I worked first in Kenya, ended up spending a total of about 12 months there over several years. I also worked in Somalia between the civil wars. And I worked in the Gambia and traveled overland to visit other stove projects as well. And I worked in Sri Lanka quite a bit and a little bit in India and did some volunteer work in Guatemala. And I also worked in Fiji in the South Pacific. So were you trained in efficient solar cooking or efficient cooking stoves or how did you, how did you get into this field? Well, I moved to Eugene, Oregon, 1979 for graduate school at University of Oregon in ceramics. Both my college degrees are in ceramics. There was an nascent group there that was involved in trying to develop and promote fuel-efficient cooking stoves for people who cook with wood. I don't know if you know this, but more than half the world 
cooks all of their meals on wood or charcoal. And so it was an attempt to save forests and also to alleviate the amount of work that women have to do. Cutting wood, chopping wood, carrying wood, they might carry 100 pounds of wood for 10 or 15 miles. It's really quite a burden on women. So these are things like rocket stoves and other things like that? The inventor of the rocket stove is a friend of mine and lives just south of here. Were you connected with music when you were in Africa? No, not so much. I actually was a a closet songwriter for a long time, but my grandmother was a piano teacher and her two daughters studied piano. And so my mother had all of us study piano. And my piano teacher would slap my fingers with a ruler because I didn't curl them enough. So suffice to say, I did not love the piano when I was a young child. Set it aside and came back to it a little bit on my own in my teens. But when I was in college in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I knew somebody who had taken a class a number of times at the Southern University Jazz Institute. Southern University was the black college that was 10 miles north of LSU, where I was. I just decided that I was going to do that for myself the last semester of college. So I was at Southern University at 8 o'clock every morning trying to figure out how I was going to learn what I needed to learn because I was the only female, the only non-music major, the only white person, and I was coming into the second semester of a year-long class. So I was behind. I didn't know any music theory when I started it. It was the most difficult class I took in college. But the professor, Alvin Batiste, was an old-timey clarinet player from New Orleans, and he was a fabulous teacher and really could just bring it out of your soul. And that just burst open the doors of composition for me. It was a marvelous time and one of the best gifts I ever gave myself. I noticed, Laurie, that you have only two CDs, which surprised me because of the number of years that you've been making music, and that you plan on sharing songs today only from the newest CD, which is called Into Beauty. Why don't you tell us about this CD and get us started on your Song of the Soul? Well, it came 11 years after my first CD, which was called Are You Satisfied? And it was just a marvelous process. I work with a wonderful sound engineer who he told me as we finished the first CD, we were going into the studio with our last day of work after a year and a half of work. And he told me, he said, you know, I knew when I took this project on that it was going to be a lot of work because I worked with somebody else as naive as you. And I'm, I'm not offended by this. I very much was. I'd worked with somebody else as naive as you before, and I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but I took on this project for one reason, and that's because I felt that your songs had potential for healing. And I said, Roger, you did it for the right reason. (laughs) (laughs) So the first song that I would like us to play is called Into Beauty, which is the title track. The words in it use metaphor to explore the spiritual experience of songwriting, but also just the healing effect that listening to a really beautiful or appropriate song has for me, and I hope has for other people. A poem birthed with music is like a creature born with wings It flies high and takes us with it Cries a warning or joy it sings Sweet joy it sings 
birthed with music is like a creature born to swim he can dive the depths of sadness float on love's bliss or dance this hymn dance this hymn these poems birthed with music are like a garden growing roots and branching forth and ever blooming sharing colors and sun fruits sharing fruits sharing fruits A poem birthed with music is like a creature born with hands to put these fragments into beauty, touch our souls, and guide us through. My guest is Lori Childers. The song Into Beauty, it's title track of her latest CD. Her website, lauriechilders.com. Lori is L-A-U-R-I-E in child, C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S. Lori Childers is here with us. Into Beauty is the song, and there's all the beautiful instrumentation in there, and there's the poetry that goes with it. Talk a little bit about the instrumentation, your band or the studio players that you included in that. Where do you get your violin and your flutes and your percussion from? Who is that? The violin is David Burham, and he's just a marvelous musician. He plays in the symphony in Eugene and in Newport, and he plays fiddle music. It's incredibly versatile. And then the flute and sax are Paul Biondi who's just a marvelous musician, also in Eugene, and much loved. And he was actually going through treatment for cancer during this time. But I just, I wanted that love that he's capable of feeling and putting into the music. I wanted him to know that this was a place for him. And so he was able to do his healing during that time, and he was very grateful. Also in my band called River Rocks, there are six of us, and my bass player is Bill Veely, and he is the rock for our band and for all the music on this song. I think he plays on almost every song. Most of the percussion was done by Ken Sokoloff, who also lives in Eugene. And then there is a really fun old friend of mine, Artist the Spoon Man, and he plays on Lost, which is a humorous song. He's kind of famous because Soundgarden made a song about the Spoon Man, which is him. So he gets around. He's open for Frank Zappa. Dave Bender is a friend of mine, also from Eugene, and I brought him in for trumpet and flugelhorn. Roger, my sound engineer, plays guitar. He played on a lot of the tracks. Ed D. is in my band, River Rocks. He lives here in Corvallis and plays guitar on the first two songs. Mark Babson plays a beautiful violin on one of the songs. He's a friend from Salem. 
The clarinet and the bass was done by Joe Kasproviak. Jerry Rempel is a marvelous guitarist from Eugene and teaches at Northwest Christian College there. And then I have, for backup vocals, three women who are friends of mine, two of which are in my band, Mina Carson and Shelley Willis. That's quite a lineup you've got there, (laughs) a big network of friends. Well, do keep us going with more of your music, Laurie. What else would you like to share for Song of the Soul? I'd love for us to listen to Too Many Names. This song wrote itself one day as I was driving. Sometimes I have to just pull over and write things down. But the song, for me, it's maybe a little obscure to some people, but the lyrics describe why I really choose not to give names to my inner spiritual experience. I just find that when we use the word God or we use the word goddess or Allah or all those names that are attempts to describe mystery, that we tend to box it in a little too much. And religion can be so divisive and it really doesn't matter what the dominant religion is or dominant culture. It it tends to constrict both the growth of the culture and the growth of individual people. And you've lived on enough different continents that you've seen not only Christianity. Is that true? I mean, some people would say, well, Buddhists wouldn't do something like that. Well, it turns out that in Sri Lanka, they are primarily Buddhist. And there were Buddhist monks marching in the streets with their fists in the air saying, kill, kill. It's just not what we expect of Buddhism. You know, we get to cherry pick here in the U.S., which it gets criticized a lot, but I actually really like that we can cherry-pick the parts of religion that work for us. And maybe we'll just cherry-pick the really good, peaceful, loving parts and leave the destructive parts behind. But yes, I've seen Methodism. I grew up as a Methodist, although I'm now a Quaker. I worked in Fiji, and the Methodists were in charge, and they made a big point of oppressing the Hindus that had been brought to that country by the British colonialists. It was really an eye-opener to work in all these countries and see how people live. So with too many names, I will not give to you a name. Already you have too many names. I will not give to you a name that makes you different or the same to someone looking to play that game. Already you have too many
track from her latest CD into beauty and again about not trying to put the God thing the spirit the whatever we might refer to it as in a box I tend to think of it probably differently than what you're talking about in the song I, I certainly recognize the value of what you were saying in there Laurie but one of the things that I've decided is rather than saying let's not talk about it what I like to say is let's do a super potluck Let's refer to the 10,000 different names that are there so that no one needs to hold back from naming their experience as they best can express it, because then I feel like we're putting it all on the table in the middle. Well, and I've also learned to interpret whatever words people use to find what's real for me and what they're saying. So I don't begrudge anybody who's very comfortable using any, any of those words, but for myself, I would rather live whatever it is as a way of expressing it and just stay open to what else it might be that I hadn't perceived before. But anyway, this song is not about me. It's about you. It's your song of the soul we're trying to gather, Laurie. <laughs> so keep us coming with your music. I, I love to share as much of it as we can. Great. The next song would be Singing Freedom. And this song, I will say, just immediately insisted upon getting written and wrote itself after I watched the film A Mandala. It's about the role of music in the South African Revolution against apartheid and how the music gave all of these people who really suffered terribly this inner freedom and strength to stay nonviolent in action. It got me thinking, you know, how can we help people around the world achieve greater freedom and justice and all these things we want for everybody without giving them armaments? Because those armaments tend to make everything worse. So that's where that song came from, that we sing with them, that we listen, that we're paying attention. And there are a lot of actions we can do as well. But anyway, so an Iranian friend who works for the Fellowship of Reconciliation loved the song and asked me to make a music video about it so that she could send it to Iran and encourage the nonviolent green movement there. This was soon after that had been formed in their failed elections when it was a pretty scary time. So we were able to film it at a Peace Jam event in 2010 here in Corvallis with my band River Rocks and we posted it on YouTube in time for the one-year anniversary in Iran of the Green Movement. But it's truly about every kind of change that we'd like to see in the world. And it's Singing Freedom by Lori Childers. We are singing freedom, freedom. We are singing freedom with you. We are dancing we are dancing freedom We are dancing freedom with you Struggle is always reborn The human spirit will not die 
up strong and free, strong and free. Dignity will rise up strong and free. We are talking freedom. We are talking freedom with you. We are laughing. We are laughing freedom. We are laughing freedom with you. Struggle is always reborn. The human spirit will not die. Bury me in the forest, bury me in the sea. Brotherhood will rise up strong and free, strong and free. Sisterhood will rise up strong and free. We are praying freedom, freedom. We are praying freedom with you. We are claiming, we are claiming freedom. We are claiming freedom with you. Struggle is always reborn. The human spirit will not die. Bury me in the forest, bury me in the sea. The honest truth will rise up strong and free, strong and free. Dignity will rise up strong and free. Brotherhood will rise up strong and free, strong and free. Sisterhood will rise up strong and free. Laurie Childers' song, Singing Freedom. It's a zipper song, as my friend Bruce O'Brien taught me, the kind where you can substitute a word or a phrase in the song to quickly create a new verse. Do you ever do that in concert, Laurie, and get suggestions from the audience to create new verses to Singing Freedom? I love that idea, and I think I'm going to suggest it. I think we'll try that next time. Obviously, that shows a peace orientation, which, of course, knowing that you're Quaker, I figured that would be a connection. How much activism do you do? How big a part of your life is it? Well, I'm currently chair of the National Council of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which is a bit like having a full-time volunteer job. I feel like nonviolence is my thing. I feel like I stay open-minded to consider that there might be times where armaments are necessary, but I pretty much tend to observe that they make things worse. And we need to, of course, be proactive and be thinking and working and acting 20 years ahead of time because you can't just react to things with nonviolence and have it be effective every time. You have to really be preventing the causes of violence, which usually have to do with injustice and cruelty and greed. Soon after September 11th, a bunch of us got together and formed a group called Alternatives to War. And it's actually kind of famous, perhaps, among activists in this world because we are the only group that has kept up continually every single night a vigil in front of the courthouse here protesting the war. 
because I had children to feed at home most of those times, I stopped being a regular attender of the vigil after about six months. One of the groups that came out of that is called, well, we call ourselves, we're just four women, the Sisters of Perpetual Organizing. And for the last eight years, we have put on monthly benefit concerts at a local cafe. All of the money that's raised goes to the beneficiaries. And many of the beneficiaries are anti-war people. The first was Lieutenant Aaron Watata, who was the first commissioned officer to refuse to go to Iraq. And we've also included local homeless groups. We even had homeless musicians play to raise money for the homeless shelter. We've had Jewish musicians and Palestinian musicians share the stage and show how similar their music was to raise money for a man from our area who was going to work with Christian peacemaker teams to the Palestinian village to walk the children back and forth from school so they wouldn't get shot by the Israeli settlers that live nearby. So we keep that up. As chair of the National Council of FOR, we are the governing board of the organization, and they're having their 100-year anniversary this year. So I'm helping organize the Centennial Conference, which I often do with Oregon FOR anyway, up in Seabeck, Washington. And I'm helping with the exhibit, getting together. I organize conference calls several times a month and our big meetings three times a year. I'm really impressed. I mean, that's a lot to do. And you're also teaching and doing your own artwork and songwriting, etc. By the way, you mentioned about that continuous witness ever since 9-11-2001. And one other guest I had on, uh, I guess back a year ago, I had Leah Bolger on. Is she native to your area? She moved here about eight or nine years ago. And yes, I'm so glad you interviewed her. She's one of my friends here, and she's one of the four sisters of perpetual organizing. We are the two (laughs) original ones. Yes, she's a good friend, and we're two months apart in age, and people for a long time would confuse us because, you know, our hair looks similar enough. And my hair now has eight different colors in it, so it's nobody confuses us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and people can find my interview with Leah Bolger if they just go to NordenSpiritRadio.org and search for Leah or Bolger, B-O-L-G-E-R. And she's a retired Navy commander. So speaking of war, I have this song called When the War is Over. You perhaps remember when then-Vice President Dick Cheney told us all that we needed to just get used to the idea of permanent war, of endless war. And I realized at that moment that we need to be actively imagining, visualizing the end of the war, to really concentrate on creating the end of the war, or else the end will never come. So I knew that there was a song coming when in a conversation with a friend I used the phrase when the war is over because I got goosebumps all over. When the war is over, 
places, seeking time and changes gone. Some wounds break the spirit. Books rewritten, renewals begun. May you rise with hope and prosper. May your garden bloom again. May you live and breathe forgiveness. May our children all be friends. Childers is my guest here today for Song of the Soul. This is a Northern Spirit Radio production on the web at northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you can find more than nine and a half years of our programs for free listening and download. You'll find links to our guests, other information about them. You'll find place to leave comments, and we really love two-way communication. So post your comment when you visit. There's a place to make donations to support this work. So please do click support when you come. And this actually precedes all 
the rest of it, remember to support your local community radio station. They bring you a slice of news and of music that you get nowhere else on the American airwaves. So start out by supporting them with your wallet, with your hands. Your help is needed. Again, our guest today is Lori Childers. Her website, lorichilders.com, or just follow the link from nordenspiritradio.org. Again, we just heard when the war is over, about visioning a, a world post-war. Are you a lifelong activist of this sort? When did you get into peace orientation or nonviolence? I grew up in a family where all the men had been in the military. My father, his brothers, both of my grandfathers, and that was normal, but I knew for me that I could never go to war. And when I was a teenager, the Vietnam War was happening really well underway. My graduating class was the first class that was not drafted, but it was not looking like the war was about to be over. And at the same time, the efforts to pass the Equal Rights Amendment were underway. And so it seemed very imminent that females would be drafted as well as men. And so I spent my ninth, 10th grade especially, I remember trying to decide, would I really do this? And what was the war about? Why were we fighting in Vietnam? And frankly, nobody, even my father, could give me a good answer of why we were fighting there. I said, well, I'm not going to go fight people that I don't even know why I'm trying to fight them. And so then it was thinking, well, would I go to Canada or would I go to jail? And I kind of went back and forth on that because I'm not really fond of cold weather. <laughs> so I was stuck, you know, going back and forth on jail, Canada, jail, Canada. I, so anyway, I would say that I got more into the environmental activism of working with the fuel-efficient cooking stoves. And that was right in graduate school and afterwards that I realized, oh, I can give this at least five years of my life. And I ended up giving it ten and then soon after that, I was raising children. At the, actually, September 11th happened the day before my youngest child, my son, was to start kindergarten. So just as I thought I would be free to make lots of art again, I really felt compelled to prevent World War III. And so it sounds like maybe since 9-11-2001, you've been very focused in the direction of peace? Yes. And speaking of which, through FOR especially, but other people as well, I have a number of friends who work in war zones, do really difficult work, difficult in the sense of seeing people who suffer hugely. And I asked a friend, John Lindsay Poland, who worked with FOR for 25 years, you know, how do you do it? How do you emotionally stay healthy when you see what these people in Colombia suffer from and people in El Salvador and, and other places. And he told me he just felt great gratitude for being alive and for getting to do this work and for getting to know wonderful people. So anyway, he was coming to visit and I so I was thinking more about that conversation and other friends as well and kind of, again, wondering how do we deal with the most difficult things that happen to us? How do we cope with both these terrible horrors that are perhaps external to us or perhaps not, but how do we even deal with the internal struggles that all of us have? Anyway, I loved writing this song, Love Lifts Us. When we fall down, get kicked around, and wallow in our sorrow because it looks the same tomorrow. 
love lifts us, love lifts us up. Love will lift us up. Love lifts us up. Love opens you. Childers, do you ever do solo performances, Laurie, or is is it always with the the backing of this community that you seem to be part of? I used to only perform solo, and then since I've had a band, that's more fun. And my band is called River Rock. Sometimes not all six of us can join an invitation to play, and so it might be a smaller group. At which point, we jokingly call ourselves Wet Gravel. But I do, um, I actually do enjoy performing solo and it's refreshing to not have to organize other people's arrival times, etc. But it's often me and my piano and I play guitar sometimes. So maybe we can have some more of your music right away. So the next song I would introduce, it's called Mystic Child. I included this partly because it wrote itself while I was on my way to a Quaker meeting and then while I was in that meeting. The thing about songs is when they offer themselves to you, you have to kind of push everything aside and write it down and catch it. 
So there I was in Quaker meeting, and I only had some small scraps of paper in my purse, so I kind of quietly got those out and was trying to write on them, but they were kind of wrinkled. Anyway, my husband told me later that people had been annoyed. <laughs> but, oh, well. <laughs> but anyway, I did my best. So this song came out of a very long conversation I had over a period of about five years with a number of right-wing people, a small number of right-wing people, some of whom I've never met face-to-face, and uh, one who's a friend of a friend is a a kind of born-again Christian, and he was in the military, and we exchanged literally thousands of emails, most of which were about trying to comprehend each other's spiritual paths and to find common ground, and I did not like this man at all in the beginning, and so it was really a big step forward to actually be this intimate, if I can use that word, about things that are really, truly deep that few of us ever share with anyone. And I think we found a fair bit of common ground. So the song is called Mystic Child. There's a mystic child behind that wall Built by a young boy not yet tall The mystic child safely unseen Enclosed and hidden by a worried teen The wall we see is fortified it's tough and crusty on every side brick and stone muscle and steel silent solid it cannot feel maintained for years need you ask by a man Busy with this constant task
Mystic Child by Laurie Childers. So, Laurie, did you ever stop being a mystic child yourself? I get the feeling that you may have never let society shut you down as you were growing up. Or else I never really let it be as fully alive as it is now. I think when I was a child, I wouldn't say that mysticism was a big part of either the Methodist Church or my family's culture. But in my exploration in my early 20s of other religions, I feel like I started to get a glimpse of other ways of looking at things and to even just to separate the mental intellectual processes from emotional experiences that those are happening. There are two layers of our experience. To me, that opened a lot of comprehension of the internal life. And, I, you know, I go to sweat lodges, and I find that very meaningful. I truly, deeply enjoy the pagan women's circles I've been part of, Quaker meeting. I have a tremendous respect for the 400 years of history that Quakers have and the process. And I don't think it really matters what you call that inner voice if you are humble and attentive to it. So I I think I'm probably more of a mystic. I'm a practical mystic, but I think I'm more of a mystic now than I was as a child. Well, Mystical Laurie, how about you provide us with one final song for Song of the Soul? What would you like to go out with? There's a song called Firelight, Fearless, and Free, and this was an instrumental piano piece for a number of years before my bass player, Bill Veely, suggested that it have words be spoken over the slower sections. So I eventually settled on some quotes from His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and he was, I must say, a profound influence on me about 30 years ago. He described being in Lhasa, Tibet, when the Chinese invaded. He was 11 years old, and he watched through his telescope from the palace, and he was seeing all these terrible things happen to his people. And he said, I felt so sorry for those soldiers because they have to live with what they did for the rest of their lives. And because I'm Buddhist, I believe they have to live with what they did for many lives to come as well. And that moment, I realized that nonviolence is not suppressing anger. It's genuinely feeling something else. And now I can name that something else as compassion. I couldn't at the time, but he did. He planted the seed of comprehension of what nonviolence is about. So I ended up settling on 11 quotes of his, and I arranged them in a way that's very meaningful to me. So that's how we're going to end Laurie Childers' Song of the Soul. As you've heard, she's doing such wonderful work, and I really want to thank you for that, Laurie. You work as the National Chair of the Fellowship of Reconciliation. Your constant work in your local community there in Corvallis, Oregon, your artwork helping inspire in that direction, and of course with your music, trying to alight souls with a light that keeps us going and doing better in the world. All these things combined with the fact that you took the time out to share with us today for Song of the Soul. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. I love the work you're doing, too. Don't forget to check our website, northernspiritradio.org, for bonus excerpts from this program. So we end Laurie Childers' Song of the Soul, songs from her latest CD, Into Beauty, with one more song, Firelight, Fearless, and Free. And we'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. 
the whole purpose of religion is to facilitate love and compassion, patience, tolerance, humility, and forgiveness. Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. My religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. No need for temples. No need for complicated philosophy. Your own mind, your own heart is the temple. Your philosophy is kindness. World peace must develop from inner peace. Peace is not just mere absence of violence. Peace is, I think, the manifestation of human compassion. We can never obtain peace in the outer world until we make peace with ourselves. If you can cultivate the right attitude, your enemies are your best spiritual teachers because their presence provides you with the opportunity to enhance and develop tolerance, patience, and understanding. Only the development of compassion and understanding for others can bring us the tranquility and happiness we all seek. If you want others to be happy, Practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. The more you are motivated by love, the more fearless and free your action will be.
The more you are motivated by love, the more fearless and free your action will be. possible. It is always possible. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy, let in the light, it will heal you. And you can feel you and sing out a song.